And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we pray that you would come and speak to each of us here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. Last week, um, rather, this is our last week in our series that we've been doing in the month of October around the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is something we've been sharing in every week as a response to the sermon, a reminder to ourselves. We're speaking it together to remind ourselves of Jesus' last words to us, the words that Jesus is charging us with to go forth and uh, to go forth and to live. And we have been remembering this month that it began with 11 guys. 11 guys who met Jesus outside of town, outside of the temple, outside of the crowds, and he gave them these instructions. And as I've been sharing over these past few weeks, the, everything in Matthew's gospel leads to the Great Commission. Everything in Matthew's gospel feeds into the Great Commission. We can take any verse of scripture from Matthew's gospel and relate it to the Great Commission that, end, that ends uh, his, his account of Jesus' life. And today's passage is the fuel, if the Great Commission is the vehicle that's being driven, the greatest commandment that we're talking about today is the fuel, or if you drive an electric car, it's the electricity that powers that electric car. If the Great Commission is a light bulb, then the great, the, then this passage today is indeed that source of power and electricity that turns the light bulb on. These are so closely connected. And I couldn't help but think as I was reading through this passage, it was, um, it was two or three months ago that I put this series together for the month of October. And I remember going to our Revive group on one Tuesday night. And just as a little, uh, let's put a little, P, a little public service announcement in here for the Revive group. If you're not familiar with that, it is a small group that meets on Tuesday nights downstairs in the Good Shepherd Sunday School Room at 5.30. And it is a group that has Bible study, time of prayer. And I started going to the Revive group because I felt revived when I left there. And if you're a member of the Revive group, if you, or if you've attended, will you just raise your hand and let folks know? So if you are curious about to learn more about this, just look around and ask one of these folks about the Revive group. And my glory sighting for this week, I shared a glory sighting with you last week at the time of prayer. My glory sighting is when I went to Revive um, a couple of months ago, they were talking about the greatest, the greatest commandment, this passage today, and the Great Commission that we've been saying together. And I walked in, I thought, oh goody, God's going to go ahead and give me my sermon for October the 29th. And it's true, a confession as a preacher, that I'm constantly, and I don't even think about it anymore because I've been doing this for 16 and a half years. But even in, on year one, I could have said this, that uh, there's something about, I, I'm always here uh, as I'm listening and as I'm hearing and as I'm going about the daily work, there, is always, there are always these times where I hear something or a story stands out or something that I just say, that goes with this passage. That goes with this Sunday. And I remember that night thinking, I need to pay attention to what this group is saying because what they were, one of the things that they were talking about, and I'm not going to replay for you. I wish I had an audio recording of that night, but I'm not going to give you a whole replay of everything that was said. But the thing that I took away from that evening was that we cannot, and we cannot do justice to and fulfill the Great Commission if we are not trying to follow the two greatest commandments or the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us today. Jesus answers with two 
verses of scripture, but it's really one command that he gives to us. And today is so important for us as we, as we move forward to a different series next month, as we prepare for the holiday season and an opportunity to really fulfill that great commission. This passage today reminds us of what it is that we need to do and to be constantly doing as God sends us forth and as God sends us out. And that begins with the simple thing that Jesus tells us to do. Let's talk a little bit about where we are in today's passage, though. The Pharisees have just heard that Jesus has shut down the Sadducees. Now, a couple, uh, last week, we've skipped a little passage in here in Matthew's Gospel from last week where we were. What has happened is that people are baffled by Jesus. As we talked about last week, the religious leaders are trying to fit him into a box that Jesus cannot fit into. And they're trying to trap him. They're trying to stop him. They're trying to just make Jesus be quiet and to stop saying these things that make them uncomfortable. And the Sadducees, which are one group of religious leaders that did not believe in the resurrection, they try to catch Jesus. In, um, they try to trap him in his words, and they try to trap him with a theological question about the resurrection. Well, Jesus does what Jesus does best. And he shuts them down. And now the Pharisees, a different religious group, they gather together and they say, let's figure out a way to get him quiet. And they ask him this question in verse 36. They say, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Just a side note here. This was a very common question, a very common topic of theological discussion in Jesus's day. This is something people talk about because there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. What would y'all think if I said you can't come to church until you've memorized all 613 of these? You can't be a part of the church until you do this. Well, in Jesus' day, those 613 laws, they had to know them. They had to follow them. And, and there was punishment involved with them. And there, was, and there, was, there were consequences involved. If you do this, then this happens. If you don't do that, then that happens. And so this was a common theme out of 613 which is the most important? That's what they're asking Jesus. Jesus is likely not surprised by this question, but no doubt they were surprised by his answer. And not so much the answer that he gives, but how he took two laws and grouped them together. Look with me in verse 37. Many of us know this passage by heart. Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew is such an interesting gospel writer because he was a tax collector. And each of the disciples were unique in their own ways. But Matthew, he was also known by the name Levi. He was a mathematical person. I know that some of us are mathematical people. And some of you go running for the hills when I mention, uh, when I even mention math to you. But, Matt, but Matthew was very much, he, was very, he very much followed the numbers. He was very much involved, as we talked about last week, in calculations. And his gospel has an order to it. And theologians have studied this and will continue to study it. We will as children of God for years. We won't be able to see it all. But you can see how Matthew specifically ordered his gospel. And everything he says here, there is something compared, there is something that feeds into the Great Commission with it. And what he is, do, and what he is doing here, he is saying all of these things. He, he's, t- he's telling us what Jesus said. And this would not come as a surprise if you were hearing Matthew read his gospel. Because a few chapters back, in chapter 5, verse 17, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew quotes Jesus as saying this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law 
and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. So Matthew tells us at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus is here not to do away with those 613 laws. No, the old, there's a reason we still study the Old Testament, friends. And we believe both the Old and the New Testament is the word of God. But what happens here is that Matthew's telling us that Jesus embodied the law. He came and fulfilled everything that the law said. He is the Messiah, the son of David that we'll talk about in just a moment. And so anybody who heard that sermon on the mount and many in this audience likely did would remember Matt would remember Jesus saying, "Wait, this is the guy that said that he came not to do away with everything that came before, but to fulfill it so that we could move into our future as the body. That we could move into our future of what God is creating us to be. And at the end of the at the end of the gospel in the Great Commission, Jesus does indeed give them a command to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. That he commanded them. We're going to say that in just a moment, friends. That Jesus told them in the Great Commission, go and do what I have commanded you. And here is the greatest commandment. What is that greatest commandment? It is the word love. It is the verb love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your being, with all your strength. Those words those words have many, many meanings that we could go on and on about. But first and foremost, the greatest commandment is to love your God, to love the God who created you, to love the God who is with you, to be filled with that love, to be overcome by that love, to be showered by that love, that everything rests upon that. And as we love God, we cannot help but fulfill the second half of that, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that is what the Great Commission is, isn't it, friends? That, the, that Jesus is telling the disciples to go to their neighbors, to go and to make disciples, to go and to baptize, to go and to teach following those commandments. Those two commandments that Jesus says do not do away with everything that went before, but, we, but it causes us to look at the law through the lens of Christ's sacrificial love. And what Jesus is empowering us to do, what he empowers the first 11 disciples to do, what he is empowering us as the congregation of First United Methodist of West Point, Mississippi to do, is to go and to do these things, to go and fulfill these commandments. And that commandment for us is love. Now, I'm about to share something with you that might step on a few toes. So go ahead and put your closed-toed shoes on for this and stick with me. If I begin to say something and you say, I don't like what she's saying, just stick with me and I'll explain. A few years ago, I did a sermon series about um, things that we say in church that we probably shouldn't say in church or that we need to move away from saying. And some of you may remember this. And one of the phrases I talked about that made a lot of people upset was a phrase that we need to stop using is love the sinner and hate the sin. And this is a phrase some of you are saying, oh, I just said that this week. Friends, hear me, hear me out. There, you, you, can, you can disagree with me on this. We can talk about it. But the reason I bring that up, that is a phrase I am hearing so often, so much, both inside the church and outside the church. And something about it has always bothered me. And one of the things I realized when I preached on it a few years ago, and the reason I'm bringing it up again here, is that it leaves out... It leaves out half of the greatest commandment, and then it turns to the word hate. So first and foremost, the word hate we need to be very, very careful with. There is a point in the scripture in Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, this is another sermon for another day, where it says there are six things that the Lord hates, 
I believe it's Proverbs 19. That's something that we need to look at and look at in the definition of what the word hate means there. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we must indeed be careful about how we use that word hate and how we need to stay away from it, how we need to avoid that. And, and so that's just a word that I try not to use a lot in church that I think we need to stay away from. Sin is an important topic that we need to talk about. The late Hubert Caston, uh, who we're going to be calling his name next week, I remember when he, um, one Sunday during Lent, I preached on, uh, the, uh, on the importance of repentance, and I talked about sin, and he told me after, I did not like that sermon. I know you had to preach it. I know I needed to hear it, but I did not like it. Sin is something we have to talk about. It's real. Lent's coming. I'm going to talk about sin then. We'll talk about the, th- the six thing that, things that God hates then involving sin. But notice here, friends, does Jesus in the greatest commandment when he, what he tells us to do is to go forth and to love. Our, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who highlights those things. God is the one who saves. We can't save each other. The, the Great Commission tells us that to go and to make disciples, the United Methodist Church goes one step further and says, go make disciples for the transformation of the world. We don't make the transformation, friends. We can't wash away somebody else's sins. We can't wash away our own sins. Only Jesus can do that. So let's just move that phrase out of the way. The thing that I the reason I ask you to start avoiding that is because it is so easy for us to focus on the hate, to focus on what we hate and not on who we are supposed to love. And not only that, that statement leaves out this fact that we cannot love one another. We cannot love sinner and saint. In the way that Jesus wants us to if we don't love God first. These two statements are tightly intertwined with each other. So I would ask you to move away from that statement of love the sinner, hate the sin, and instead say, I'm going to love God and I am going to love my neighbor as, our, as myself. And then let God take care of the rest. Let God deal with the sin. Let, and yes, sometimes he may ask us to call one another out on something that, on something that we have done wrong or he may call us out on it but that is his work Jesus tells us in the great commission to go to make disciples to baptize and to teach and to obey everything that he has commanded the apostle Paul goes one step further in 1st Corinthians 13 many of you know that if you haven't if you don't know 1st Corinthians 13 you must not have been to a wedding at some point because it is the love chapter it is all about sacrificial love Christ's love for his church and how we are to love each other. And we're going to sing a hymn in a moment based on that passage of scripture. And one of the things Paul says is, I could, I could have the greatest rhetoric. I could prophesy. I could do all of these great things. But if I don't do it with love, it's like clanging brass or a clanging cymbal. It's going to amount to nothing. Friends, we may be called to say and do difficult things, to call each other out on what matters. But if we don't do it in love, then we might as well stop now. And we can only learn how to love each other if we learn how to love God first. And the reason, and I want to go back to groups like Revive, like our Sunday school classes, um, like events like this afternoon where we're going to be singing together, times where we're fellowshipping together. It is in the context of this community that we learn how to love. We learn how to love God through each other, right? I'm looking out at your faces today, and some of you who are online whose faces I can't see, but you can see mine right now, and I, I can see you. Know, I can see you in the spirit, and just and look at you. And I have heard God speak through you. I have experienced God's love through you. We have. You can look out at one another and see people that you have experienced God's love through. 
We experience God's love, and as we experience God's love, it transforms us and enables us to love our neighbor as well. And that is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment gives us what we need to fulfill the Great Commission. It's simple. You may be saying, preacher, that's so simple. We've got so much that we have to do. Well, if we start there, though, the Lord will lead us in what is next. Because look what Jesus said at the very end of the Great Commission. I am with you always to the end of of the age. And you may be thinking, what, what does that have to do with the greatest commandment? Well, look at today's passage, the last few verses that Bob read so beautifully for us, where Jesus gets into this theological discussion about a verse of scripture from Psalm 110. And he asks them about what it means to be called the Son of, what it means to be called Lord, what it means to be called Lord, and what's something that King David said years before. Well, what we see here, friends, this very next part of the passage. Is Jesus saying, I am the Lord. I'm just going to summarize those few verses because um, our attention spans are probably going out. I could preach a whole other sermon on those last three verses. But the Jesus here is saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I go back to before David was, I was. Jesus is the Lord. He's saying, I've been around longer than you can imagine. And I'm going to be around longer than you can imagine as well. I am with you always. The Lord is with us. If we will love God, if we will love our neighbor as ourselves, and if we will do that in the way Jesus commanded us, he will go with us. He is the Lord who will make the transformation happen. He is the Lord who will bring healing. He is the Lord who will, who will, call, who will cause revival to break out. He is the Lord who will light a fire under us and bring his revelation and bring his light and to bring his healing into a hurting world. Jesus is the one who is the Lord. He is with us. And if we will fulfill the command, he will bring the power. He will bring the transformation and we will all rejoice in what God is doing through what God is doing in our midst, through us, through his church, through one another. And so as we prepare to go forth to love as Christ first loved us and to be powered by that love, to move away from hatred, to move away from judgment and to focus in on what it means to love. Let us declare together what it is that God has called us to do in this great commission. Would you stand as you are able in body or in spirit? And join with me in these words from Matthew 28 that are printed in your bulletin. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.